Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Surma Pod. This is the podcast for the Sports and Entertainment Risk Management Alliance. I am your host and also the founder and CEO of Surma, Rich Lenkov, and we're very privileged to have a special guest today. Julie Hopkins is an attorney with her own law firm, Hopkins IP. She is also an adjunct professor at the University of Maryland, uh, Carey School of Law, and she's here to talk to, to us today about a very interesting application for trademark protection by the Baltimore Ravens. Julie, welcome to the Sermapod. Thank you so much for having me. Well, the Ravens uh, are a NFL football team, and uh, they are trying to protect the term Charm City. Now, they have applied for protection specifically for its use in terms of marketing and selling themselves as a football club but that trademark rejection or application was at least initially rejected because it was considered too broad. The term Charm City is used by many other people and entities, so it was rejected. Talk to us, first of all, about the application process and what they were looking to do in filing for this protection. Sure. So they filed a trademark application with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office for Charm City. Uh, and when you file a trademark application, you have to identify the goods and services that you're going to be using in connection with the mark. Uh, and so they identified a number of things from clothing uh, to trading cards, uh, pennants, uh, but then also entertainment services related to, you know, professional football games. Uh, so it was not Charm City in connection with everything. It was it was narrowly tailored to um, specific goods and services, and they even said uh, specifically for the promotion of the Ravens professional football team. So they they limited it even further, uh, specifically to be a mark used in connection with their football team. So is this just a document that you file? Is there any evidence that's supplied? Is there testimony? What's this application process look like? Sure. So uh, they filed an intent to use trademark application, which means they're not using the mark in commerce yet. Uh, in commerce means you've had sales of goods uh, that are listed in the application or you've rendered the services listed in the application. Uh, so they filed an intent to use application, and that just requires you to identify the mark that you want to use uh, and the goods and services you're intending to use the mark in connection with. So uh, there's a declaration you saw in, in um, connection with that that says you have a bona fide intent to use it in commerce. Uh, but at this stage, because it's an intent to use application, they did not need to submit any evidence of use, uh, any dates of, of sales, that type of thing. Um, that would come later down the road. Uh, trademarks do not register with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office unless they've been used in commerce. Uh, so down the road, they would have to submit that evidence uh, and show that proof that they are using it in connection with the goods and services that they listed in the application. And what's the goal of some of a company like the Ravens uh, applying for this protection? Sure. So trademarks, um, you know, are enforceable against uh, trademark infringers. So anyone who would use a confusingly similar mark, so a mark that's similar in appearance, uh, and used in connection with uh, similar goods and services, uh, related goods and services. Uh, if they had a registration, they could enforce it against um, those infringers. And so I would imagine for the Ravens, that could potentially be people selling, you know, counterfeit or knockoff goods, uh, you know, T-shirts, clothing, that type of thing. Uh, I, I would imagine they're not trying to go after other Charm City businesses in Baltimore. I will tell you that there are a number of businesses that include Charm City in in their trademarks and in their businesses uh, unrelated to football. 
Uh, so I don't imagine that's what they're trying to do. I would imagine it'd be more trying to stop, you know, people selling competing goods, uh, potentially, you know, counterfeit or knockoff goods. So, Julie, the uh, NFL generally and its teams are, you know, they represent some of the strongest IP in the world, right? Some of the most recognized and most protected brands in the world. Uh, you would think, to a layperson, would think, like myself in this area, would think that um, the NFL covers anything that their member clubs sell. In other words, if the Ravens were selling goods and uh, products with the term Charm City on them, why aren't they under the umbrella of the NFL protection? So that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, that I don't know. I mean, the, the Ravens have their own business entity. Um, they filed the application under their business entity. So um, there's probably licensing deals. Uh, I know that, you know, I did see in my research that some of the Charm City clothing is being sold on the NFL website as well as on the Raven site. So I imagine there's some sort of agreement or licensing deal going back and forth to enable that. But as far as the decision as to who owns which trademark, uh, that I'm not entirely sure about. But I do know this one was filed specifically by the Ravens organization. All right. So it was filed and then uh, it was rejected. Talk to us about yes. the reasons surrounding the rejection of this application. Sure. So uh, once it's filed, it's reviewed by a trademark examiner and the trademark examiner uh, rejected the mark as being geographically descriptive. So a trademark is not registrable on the principal register if it is descriptive of the goods and services that are being um, that are listed in the application or if they're geographically descriptive, meaning they're indicating a specific location and the goods or services um, emanate from that location. And that extends to nicknames. So nicknames for certain um, for cities, for states, for locations, uh, the trademark office views those as geographic descriptors. Uh, however, it has to be recognized by the American public to be a geographic descriptor and a nickname. Uh, so this was rejected uh, because Charm City was determined by the examiner to be a well-known nickname uh, for the city of Baltimore. Uh, and so that was why the mark was rejected. And I imagine the reason surrounding the um, idea that you can't basically own a geographical location is because you're... Um you know, preventing so many other businesses from using that uh, that name. And it's not fair, uh, given how widely uh, used, you know, a particular moniker might be in a geographic location. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, they the, the policy is that you want other businesses to be able to identify where their goods and services are coming from. Uh, so it's, it's to allow other businesses to be able to use the name as well. Um, so, so that's, that's the issue there. Um, it is possible to get a trademark with a geographic uh, indicator in the mark. Uh, you just have to, uh, it's, uh, the term is acquire distinctiveness. So if you've used the mark in commerce in connection with your, with your business, with your goods and your services for more than five years, uh, that's kind of the magic number. If you've used it for five years or more, you can uh, state to the trademark office that you've acquired this distinctiveness, meaning consumers recognize it as a brand as opposed to just a geographic indicator. And at that point, uh, it would be registrable on the principal register with the trademark office. So there's actually a number of Charm City businesses that have uh, registrations with the U.S. trademark office. So, But they've been using them for, for five years or more. 
So in the application, Julie, the Ravens list a number of products that they're selling already and that they intend to sell with this Charm City uh, name on them. Um, talk to us about, you know, how that how listing those products influence the decision, because as far as I understand, you know, the more broad you are, obviously, the less likely you're going to get trademark protection because you're going to prevent all these other businesses using Charm City. But in the application, they are listing things like footballs that are unique to the Ravens, but they're also listing things like calendars, which if I'm a, you know, if I'm a calendar maker in Baltimore, mm -hmm. I'm going to object to the Ravens, uh, you know, monopolizing Charm City on calendars. Yeah, so it's all about a first-to-file system with the trademark office um, and a, a priority as far as who's using the mark um, in connection with the good or the service first, and that's the person or the business who gets the trademark rights. So um, the trademark office uh, conducted, the examiner conducted a search to see if there were other pending applications or registrations that uh, were filed or registered in connection with identical or similar related goods. Uh, and the examiner did not identify any other applications or registrations for, for example, calendars. So the Ravens were essentially the first to, to file uh, in connection with that good. Uh, as far as, you know, and, but keep in mind, they filed it as intent to use, meaning that they have not actually sold uh, calendars. Uh, they may have, but I, I didn't see anyone. I did some research. So um, this is, they're intending to do that in the future. As far as a current, you know, calendar uh, seller that hasn't filed a registration, you know, they have common law rights. Those are rights that attach the moment you start selling a good in commerce. They're enforceable. They're just limited geographically. So certainly if there's a calendar company, They've called themselves Term City or they have Term City in their name. They could certainly go after the Ravens uh, for trademark infringement in the event uh, the Ravens started selling calendars under Term City and this other company had the common law rights first. Got it. That's really interesting. So <laughs> yes. uh, what's the confusingly similar standard? The, the Ravens could protect their mark if uh, there's others. Uh, using it and they can prove this confusingly similar standard. That sounds yes. like that sounds like something that's confusing in and of itself. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, a mark is not registrable registrable uh, on the um, with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office if it is confusingly similar to another mark that is already is already pending or registered. So, this it's the standard is basically would a consumer be confused as to the source of the goods or services based on based on the mark uh, and the goods and services that are being offered. And so, that it's a multi factor test. Uh, the two most important factors are the similarity of the mark in sight, sound, and meaning. So what, how is it spelled? What does it look like? How identical is it? Uh, is it pronounced the same? Does it have the same connotation? Uh, and then the second factor is the similarity of the goods and services. So again, they don't have to be identical. Uh, they just have to be related. So is it likely that a consumer would see that those goods are emanating from the same store uh, on the same shelf at the grocery store, that type of thing. Uh, so that's that's the test for uh, for confusingly similar. There's there's about six or seven factors, but the two most important ones are the similarity of the mark and appearance and the goods and services. And Julie, if the Ravens don't succeed, uh, they could try on a supplemental register. This was uh, applied for on the principal register. Can you explain what those two things are and how they're different? Sure. So for a mark that is 
deemed to be descriptive by the trademark office or here geographically descriptive. Uh, if the mark is being used in commerce, you have the option of putting it on the supplemental register. So the principal register is the one that we always think about. It has all the rights that you get when you have a trademark registration. The supplemental register is, is only really for marks the trademark office deemed to be descriptive. Uh, and so it sits there. Uh, you get to use the circle R, which is, you know, a deterrent often to uh, potential infringers. Uh, you can sue in federal court for trademark infringement. Uh, the, it's also searchable, so it would prevent another mark potentially from coming along and being registered uh, subsequent to the Ravens. Uh, but there's no presumption of validity. So again, it's, it's an admission that you haven't acquired this distinctiveness. Um, so you would still, if you were to enforce it, you would have to prove uh, that it is functioning as a trademark as opposed to being a descriptor. Uh, so the uh, the Ravens had an option, if they were in use in commerce for the goods and services, to have the mark register on the supplemental register instead of the principal. Uh, but as I said, they filed as intent to use. Uh, so they would have to amend the application to be in use. They'd have to then prove they were using it in connection with the goods and services. Uh, they certainly could delete out the ones that they weren't you know, they didn't have sales for yet, uh, and then put it on the supplemental register. And then after five years of sales, uh, then they could have it moved to the principal register. So is there an appellate process? Where, where does the case currently stand? Are they appealing the rejection? Is that possible? Or, are they, or what's the next step? So you have three months to respond to the office action. Um, and that's, that's not an appeals process. That's just a back and forth with the examiner. Uh, and so the office action uh, issued on December 6th. So they actually had until March 6th to respond. Uh, and from what I can tell, they did not do so. So it looks like this application is going to abandon. Uh, so yeah, they had the option to either argue that Charm City is not um, a well-known nickname for Baltimore, uh, or they could have uh, proven that they were using the mark in commerce with some of the goods and services, and then amended to the supplemental register. But they actually, from what I can tell, um, it's, is, I guess it's been, what, 10 days, 11 days uh, since the deadline. Uh, usually it's posted online if they had responded by now. So it looks like um, they did not take either of those options and uh, the application is going to abandon. So, uh, Julie, last question here. I, I'm sitting in the Windy City and people, that's a very well-known nickname for a city. People actually confuse that one because they think it's because Chicago is windy. It is windy. It's very windy today, but actually... That nickname was because of back in the day, politicians were blowing a lot of air mm. and were very, uh, you know, boisterous about their claims. So that's why it became the Windy City. Um, you know, I think Charm City is fairly well known, uh, you know, maybe not so much out of Baltimore, but I don't know the originations of that nickname. I assume you do. Being, uh, <laughs> and that's that's your hometown, right? Yes. Yes. I'm from Baltimore. Uh, yeah. So I. My understanding, it was a PR campaign to uh, try to make Baltimore seem uh, like a more welcoming place. I think so it was back in the 80s that, that, that it originated. So, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a nickname for Baltimore for quite a while now. And then The Wire came along and Homicide Life. On <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Baltimore's always trying to improve its image. <laughs> Well, Julie, thank you. It's a great place. I will tell you it's a great place. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a great city, great food, great uh, great people. Uh, it's Julie Hopkins from Hopkins IP. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sermapod. Thank you for having me. Thank you. 
Ideas, strategies, and opinions represented on this podcast are those of the speakers and do not represent the ideas, strategies, and opinions of their employers.